In Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard says, our soul is like a stream of water, which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. Just take that in for a moment. Our soul is like a stream of water, which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature, and all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God and reality, and the rest of human nature and nature at large. Friends, what would it be like to know that, know that experiential reality on most days and for most hours, and increasingly in every decade to come more and more, that we would experience our soul being a robust stream of water, giving strength, direction, and harmony to every area of life. Friends, welcome to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. We are going through a series featuring the Become Good Soil intensive. Up to this point, we've gone through some big ideas on the masculine journey, and now we're moving from about 30,000 feet to closer to 15,000 feet, where we're getting a bit more into the practical applications of what all this looks like in daily life. So if you haven't joined us for the first portion of this series, I strongly recommend that you pause and go back to those episodes. But here we pick up as we wrestle with the idea of the habitat of the soul. There is a narrow road with a narrow gate. Scriptures say few find it, but those that do find life for their soul. It's an ancient road, a tried and true path. Here at Become Good Soil, we are trying to recover the gospel as it was meant to be. We're trying to recover the path for the masculine soul where we become whole and true, become the kind of person, kind of man, the kind of son, the kind of student, become the kind of warrior, become the kind of king that God can entrust with his kingdom. We care deeply about the soul and the soul has needs. The soul is finite and yet it has an infinite need. And it was once said by Tozier that the infinite needs of the soul can only be matched by God's infinite desire and capacity to fill them. But how do you care for your soul? The soul is designed for a habitat, a habitat in which it was made to thrive and a habitat that is fiercely fought against in the nature of the worlds in which we live. Friends, welcome to this edition of the Become Good Soil podcast. We are going to dive into cultivating a habitat for the masculine soul. And so join me for this next episode. I think you'll like it.
Spirit of God, come and lead us into the next piece. We ask for bread from heaven, food and drink, that you would come and meet us where we are, tend to us as your sons, as your apprentices in kingdom living. Come and lead us today. Come and lead us from this place. Come and build upon the foundation that you have established in us. Amen. All that we've done so far is prologue. So every piece is prologue uh, to get us to the next level. But I've got good news. This is a kinder session. Um, we've been kind of exploring these big ideas, right? These big orienting, um, learning to look at all of life as God would look at it, um, a view of reality. And we've been at kind of 30,000 feet. And today we're going down to 15,000 feet this morning. And then we're going to go to that ground level of like, how do you live this? What does it look like in the most practical sense? And understand these categories are infinite and there's much and most that we can't explore this weekend. That's why you have a decade. So we're not going to barrel through content, uh, but we are going to open up more and more categories to get more and more operational so that you can go back to your chimney sweep world and your relational world and learn how to live every day as Jesus would live it if he were you living in your story, which is very possible. Okay? And so... Uh, we want to talk about soul this morning, becoming good soil and cultivating a habitat for the masculine heart. Uh, John Ortberg is an apprentice of Dallas Willard, as I've been an apprentice of John Eldridge, and spent a lot of time with him. And he writes, and they call his books Dallas for Dummies. So it's, it's, it's really good for me. Uh, <laughs> So he has a, a story in here where he talks about this American devotional writer um, named Letty Kalman that went to Africa to travel, and she engaged an entire group of carriers and guides, and she was hoping to make the journey a swift one, and she was very pleased with the progress of the first day. On the second day, however, the carriers that she hired remained, remained seated, and they refused to move. She was very frustrated, and she asked the leader of the hired hands why they would not continue on the journey. And he looked at her and said, on the first day, they traveled too far and they traveled too fast. And now they're waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. They were waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. Where is your soul in relation to your life, to your externals? This world is mad, and it is not the friend of our heart. Make no mistake, the world has come under the power of darkness, which once was glorious, is in bondage. And so we must fight fiercely to do what we can do so that we can tap a power, a source, an energy that's beyond our control to fight with fierce mastery to cultivate a habitat for our soul to thrive. It can be done. Paul's soul was thriving in jail. And that's why he wrote most of the epistles. 
There is a way for your soul to thrive. It is available. You must find a way. How will you do it? How will you do it? It's new work to pay attention to our souls. Um, it's, it's new frontier. It's new frontier. And it requires these kind of core shifts. And so, again, I'm going to lay out some categories. None of them are probably new, but each of them for the intensive is meant to explore deeper. Say, what's the next cut? What's the frontier? Where's the risk required? Father, where are you meeting me? Holy Spirit, how are you teaching? Jesus, how are you giving your power into this? And so, to, to begin with, the, the world operates on a knowledge model. It's, it's the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It, it's always been so, but in this age, it's particularly um, multiplied with this, this idea of, of technology and information. It, and, and it's a gifting-centered culture, information-centered culture, and, and rather than wisdom-centered. And wisdom has always been at work since the beginning of creation. In Proverbs, I love, uh, Proverbs is just a, the foundation of wisdom. Proverbs, it's a fantastic book. For seven years, I just meditated on one proverb each day. And it's interesting how there's 31. Super kind. If you miss six, then you go back. And if that's the 17th, you get on 17. And now my kids and I are going through a proverb every week on our Sabbath and exploring how it relates to the season that he has us in. Proverbs says that lady wisdom this, this very feminine, wise expression of God's heart was God's first work. The very first thing he created was wisdom. And it was woven into the fabric of the earth's design. Wisdom was the craftsman at God's side. Picture that. Here's God, this heroic trinity, and then wisdom, the craftsman, filled with delight day after day, rejoicing in his presence, and in his whole world and delighting in all that he created is rivers and land and sea and the capacity to take wood and watch, it, watch seeds grow into trees and trees behold into timbers and timbers to form shelter. Lady Wisdom was there crafting it. There's a way wisdom works. So it's woven, right? God's heart, God's spirit woven into the fabric of creation with a very deep intention for us to access it. You can work with it or against it. And so the bottom line is the culture we, work, we live in works very much against it. And it believes all sorts of lies and, and the waywardness, right? The quote, the waywardness of fools will destroy them. It's a story of mankind. But the one who listens finds security. There is security. Deep, lasting, true, countable security. And here's where it gets really personal is... Um, there is a, a curse of gift, giftedness. You're all remarkably gifted men. And the challenge is, you know a lot more than you've lived. And in this decade, by choice or by it being chosen upon you, your living must catch up with your knowing. And even deeper still, every one of us, I want to suggest, um, became and has become a king too early, either by our own choosing in our brokenness to ascend ourselves to a higher seat at the table to answer our question, or at the hands of older men that use us to build their kingdom. We're useful. 
Your gifting is very useful. And so what I want to name is there is much you must grieve, much we must grieve about too far, too fast, too much kingdom, too soon. And until we grieve that and get really honest, we, we, we cannot see clearly how God intends us to order our kingdom. There's much of that that needs to be done, and there's much in the way. And so this ascent of the habitat for the soul begins with a wisdom model, and it's completely counterintuitive to the world system. But there's a way things work, and there's nothing new under the sun. And as you participate with wisdom, it brings rest for your soul, security, life to your bones, the scripture says. So in all the counsel and time with older men and living in this, I I want to pick out a few to just bring attention to this morning in the spirit of what is frontier for you in these? What is frontier? Um, and the, the first in this category, John brought to me in Francis Schaeffer's book, The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way, where he says that if we are going to do God's work, we must take Jesus seriously and his teaching with him. And he does not want us to press to the greatest place unless he himself makes it impossible to do otherwise. See, the path of wisdom is actually to choose the lowest seat at the table. The world says, climb, climb, raise yourself, do everything you can, work LinkedIn like a part-time job, be ready for the next thing, ready for the next thing. And the kingdom says, take the lowest seat until God makes it impossible to do otherwise. And you see, this is where the anointing flows. And this is where we get to really test God's kingdom out and see the results. The beauty of Jesus's life and his kingdom is we can test it and find it to be reliable. And that's what makes him the greatest teacher is that it can be tested and found to be true. And we are invited to take the lowest seat at the table. And so where is it in your story where he's not made it impossible, impossible for you to do otherwise? That's where the anointing flows. That's where the frontier is. One of the terms that the Father's given me here that's really helpful is, is pruning, the constant vigilance of pruning my kingdom. Constant pruning. It's amazing how the thorns and thistles just, they look good and the kingdom, it, things inevitably grow in much of its weeds and thorns and thistles, M- much of its good things that are not from God. But pruning your kingdom is an act of soul-sizing. I want my kingdom soul-sized. I was just chatting with one of the guys last night, and I just confess there's so much trimming that needs to be done. There's so much kingdom that is, is just beyond what is the scope of what God has for me, and it just naturally grows. When you're a gifted guy, when you're a good man, you attract kingdom, and it'll kill you. It'll kill you. And so where does your kingdom need to be pruned and soul-sized? And where is it that you're not taking the lowest seat at the table? It's very, very important because this is how God raises up kings. Second category, I I know you guys all hopefully know this, but um, I'm glad for that because I want to take a deeper cut as we're in the safe place of of this uh, intensive. And I want to start with 
a picture that hopefully you guys know very well that came to Alan and I when we were at the outpost helping Stacy assemble her furniture. And uh, it was a picture of our buddies from Ikea. You guys know this guy, right? Man, it's just amazing how the Spirit uses everything to entice and disrupt. And this was years ago now, but Alan and I are there and there's a box of, you know, 432 bolts and 92 pieces of knotwood, and, and it's a, a beautiful picture. And these guys, and these guys just frustrated me. And I'm like, why am I pissed at? I, I, I didn't even know. And, and then we assembled it. We don't really read the directions. We do some things wrong. Ikea, if you do it wrong, it breaks. You can't undo anything. You can't move it. So I put this, these directions on my desk, and I circle back to it later. I says, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And I felt like God said, what, what does this really say? What is it really saying to you? I said, okay, I'll be really honest. It says, hey, you, you have no dick. <laughs> Level one, you have no dick, right? So go find that little pink toolkit that your dad's, your, your wife's dad gave her when she got married, you know, with just a little hammer and the little screw, don't get anything else. And don't do something stupid. Like pick this big thing up by your dickless self. <laughs> find another one of your dickless buddies that can help you with this simple task. Now, an idiot could do this, but you're going to get real confused, and you'll be tied in knots really soon. Stop. Don't do anything. Call us the experts. We will untangle you and help you get out of this big mess that you so easily got yourself in. That's what it says. Now, I don't know the guys at Ikea, and God bless them truly. Um, they have one reason they do this, because it totally works. It totally works. It's the lowest common denominator of masculinity, and it works. The statistics on this stuff is, is unreal, and, and these are older numbers now, but 42 countries, 775 million visitors in one year, $30 billion of revenue. They learned, look, the simplest way is to treat people like eunuchs and expect nothing of them and do everything you can to keep them from doing something stupid and calling the experts, right? This is the lowest common denominator. Lewis says, we make men without chess and we expect from them virtue in enterprise. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We remove the organ and demand the function. We castrate the gelding and we bid them be fruitful. See, masculinity, when it's not restored, is a very dangerous thing in a very bad way. And so we castrate instead of restoring the whole man, instead of healing the whole man. And here's what's so important in our culture, the energy of the age in what we live is the the current, the riptide is towards specialization, okay? We, we, we've um, falsely adopted this idea of opportunity cost where everything is a widget and it can be replaced in the exchange of the common currency of money. And that's simply not true in the kingdom of God because parts of us are atrophied in that process. And in order for us to become Ephesians 2.10, this masterpiece in Revelations 210 of this white stone in our new name, that unique expression was meant to be seated on the foundation of wholehearted masculinity, of which we all share in common. And this is really important, you guys, not as a caricature, 
not as a caricature. Please know I'm not trying to create a caricature as an essence of recovering the whole man. We are meant to first and foremost be a generalist, a generalist. Uh, here's a great quote. Benjamin's Frank, Benjamin Franklin's description of Native Americans who had generously, uh, after the colonists, generously offered to educate these Indian boys, okay? And they declined the offer back in the early settler days. And here was the reason of the declining by the Indian chief. Several of our young people were formally brought up at the colleges of the northern provinces. They were instructed in your sciences. But when they came back to us, to our tribes, they were bad runners. They were ignorant of every means of living in the woods. They were unable to bear either cold or hunger. They knew neither how to build a cabin, take a deer, kill an enemy. Spoke a language in, they spoke our language imperfectly, and they, for, they therefore were neither fit for hunters, warriors, nor counselors. They were totally good for nothing. We are, however, not the less obliged by your kind offer, though we decline accepting it, but to show our grateful sense of it. If the gentlemen of Virginia would send us a dozen of their sons, we will take great care of their education and instruct them in all we know, and we will make men of them. Wow. Put that on a plaque and hang it at your next job, <laughs> right? Oh, we... We were going to educate them, but they were actually good for nothing because parts of their masculinity atrophied. The Industrial Revolution and the Information Age wreaked havoc on mankind. And what's fascinating is the greatest day of surrendering. If you could, I can't prove this, but it just seems like the sense in, in American culture, the greatest day of surrendering pocket knives was 9-11 because it just became a pain in the ass. A lot of men carried pocket knives. Part of it came out of necessity and even lingering tradition. And then 9-11 came, you couldn't go on an airplane with it. And so it just was, it was just pain in the ass, right? And, and so begins the shift. It's a physical manifestation of a soulful reality. So there are parts of every one of us that have gone dormant and that are atrophied. A man must recover the whole person. And here's what's so important. Every one of us has a frontier. So what is your frontier? And there's always a new frontier to recover the whole man. So I grew up, my, my dad was very poor, famous doctor. I was white, um, suburban, affluent golfer world, outsourced everything. We had, so we used money to outsource things. When they break it, you call some guy that fixes that sort of thing. Then I had a wife and a house and no money and that thing broke and I was like, oh shit, what do you do? Because I can't call the guy that fixes that sort of thing. So it was terrifying. The little boy doesn't know what to do. But then began the fathering and show up to Home Depot and someone teaches me how to do it. And so begins, and for me, my real baptism, my initiation was wilderness, learning how to hunt and understand survival in ways. And, and that was the context for my initiation because it was the farthest thing of working with tools in my hands and wilderness from my growing up. And I came across a quote from uh, Aldo Leopold that said, there's two great dangers, spiritual dangers in not owning a farm. It's in thinking that meat comes from the grocery and heat comes from the furnace. 
And I realized I was a man who thought meat came from the grocery and heat came from the furnace. I was a man who asked my son when he was three or four, son, what does a man need to survive? And he paused and he thought, he really thought he's a deep thinker. And he said, dad, two things, a wallet and a cell phone. It's brilliant. And it was so sad because all he knew is wherever we go, we have those two things. I was an unarmed man at the time. Didn't have one of these or 20 of these now. Um, So began a journey of a little boy being fathered in the wilderness. And we started, I was so committed to putting food on the table. And it's just an amazing journey. And you know the stories of learning how to process roadkill. And it's just a joy. I learned how to hunt. And John and I called it armed hiking because we'd go years in the woods without harvesting anything and bow hunting especially. And you come back to the neighborhood and we live on the edge of the national forest. And so in the suburban yards are these huge muley bucks eating petunias. And you're like, dude, I'm going to hit you, you know? Like, and we're driving. Day after Thanksgiving, I cut down a Christmas tree and we're praying a daily prayer. And my little Joshua says, dear God, I asked that you would give my daddy a roadkill. I'm like, where did that come from? And I just realized he had been listening to my self-talk, right? One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, boom. We come around the corner at U Park and literally on the stop sign, two legs on this side, two legs on that side, this little buck is exasperating. A woman's Lincoln to get navigators just trashed, radiator fluid, steam coming out. We're having hot chocolate, Christmas carols. I whip a U-turn. Sherry's like, what's going on? I pull up, jump out. I say, ma'am, no need to be alarmed. I'm a volunteer with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, which is technically true, though it has nothing to do with this situation. And I said, everything's under control. I, I will take care of the animal. I'm like, don't really care less about her, but I'm like, this animal's under control. Luckily, it dies right before we heave it into the truck. And Christmas tree cutting's over. We go home. I didn't know how to hang an animal. And so we hung little Bucky in our house. And so here's my first roadkill, my princess in her dress, my little partner that prayed little Bucky in. We carved it up. I don't even know how you hang an animal. You don't hang it this way, by the way. And uh, and so begins, so begins. And and so these little kids, so this is processing meat. And so they're sausage makers, charcuterists. And, and, uh, and so we make sausage, and that's them. And they know every, when we eat, they know where their meat comes from. We name every animal, and uh, we thank God for it. And so every, for a season there, when little Joshua was little, little, it was, we thank God for this animal. And we say, you know, who shot this? It was Uncle PJ, Uncle John, who shot this? And we'll one day, Grandma came to visit, and she made this casserole. And Sherry's a clean eater, and we don't have casseroles. And Josh was like eating this rich Midwestern casserole. And he goes, Daddy, what is this? And I said, Son, that's a casserole. And he looked up, and he said, Well, who shot that casserole? <laughs> Do you see the shift, right? And I looked at him, and I said, your grandma shot that casserole. <laughs> oh. See, he thought, he thought what a man needs to survive is a wallet and a cell phone, right? And now, you know what one of my favorite lines is in my household is my little Abigail. Hey, Daddy, can I borrow your knife? Hey, Daddy, can I borrow your knife? Might be to cut a package open from Amazon, cut the cellophane off a chicken from the grocery store, but she needs Daddy's knife. 
my kids are learning that a man and a knife can save the world. So for my heart, see, that's the recovery. So their birthdays, Abigail's last week, Joshua's Monday, and I felt like the Spirit said, go out to a really fancy meal. And I came from fancy, and part of my just healing and freedom was to just reject that world. Um, I kind of had disdain for it because it, it hurt me. And now I'm realizing as a generalist, actually part of it is to invite my kids into understanding how to eat at a fine dining restaurant. So we go to this fancy restaurant, it's crazy overpriced, paying a gross price for steak that's not the quality that we scrape off the roads. You want to talk about free range organic, right? <laughs> but my kids are there Monday, the 22nd, last Monday, fine linen cloths and big wine goblets and learning how to use cutlery. And part of me is freaking out going, how, why would I spend this much money? But it's the generalist. I want my kids to be educated and understand how to navigate that world. So when my son is with his girlfriend's parents, they go, whoa, this guy can handle himself in this environment. He's a generalist. And the coolest thing, it was a cowboy star and they have a butchery connected to it. So we finally need a little break from all of it. And Joshua and I go over there and we're talking to the charcuterist who's used to like pretty rich people. And we're like, man, tell us about your sausage. And, he, and we start chatting and he's like, I've got the best fat in town. If you want it for free to put in your sausage, just call me. And Joshua's connecting with the charcuterist. And he's so happy to have another guy that understands sausage. It all blends into one. It all blends into one. So Sherry was lean captivating and we just needed some joy. And, and uh, my kids love RVs and fifth wheels and campers. And some of our friends have some, some big ones. And I feel like spirits say, go to Camping World and go check them out. And I want to teach your kids about sales. And so I said, guys, we're going on a little adventure, and we're not buying anything today. We're going in there to learn. We're going in with the sharks. This is sales training. <laughs> and watch for their strategies. And Abigail, little nine, and Joshua's 12. And so they're, because they're around very good people, and I need to teach them street smarts, which is a whole different category. So we go in, and Smitty comes up, and he's rolling and working his tricks and his magic, and he's got his price list. He keeps pulling it out, and then he shows us the manager special. Shows our kids, he's talking to our kids, and he says, oh, I don't have the price on my sheet for that. I need to go check. I'll, I'll, I'll be back. It's really good. I'll, I'll be back. These kids, you enjoy. So kids are in there and checking it out, and I'm just watching them. I'm not saying anything. So Smitty comes back. It takes a while, and he doesn't look at me. He looks at Abigail, and he gets in her little nine-year-old face, and he says, Abigail, how do you like this camper? And she looked at Smitty, and she said, I've seen better. <laughs> Boom! That's my girl, right? Oh, wealthy, wealthy. It's the heart of the generalist, the heart of the generalist, right? She's going to be teaching her husband how to negotiate deals, right? The heart of the generous. So what is frontier for you? I want to name some of these things because, guys, it's not a caricature, okay? So starts with, let me give you examples. Work on your own stuff. If you own it, figure out how it works. Don't outsource it to hired hands <coughs> until you have mastery over it. And then the spirit says, yep, that's not what I have for your time. Not because you can't, but because you shouldn't. See the difference? Here's one that sucks in a really good way. Read the manual. We hate that. But that's the false man. 
It's actually meant to teach us. I have a spiritual practice of reading every manual that I get in some portion, in some way. It's just a spiritual discipline of humility to become a generalist. And I learn something from every manual. It's so humbling. It's an external exercise to cultivate the generalist. Work on the whole of thing, of a thing, the whole system. When you watch someone you love eat some sort of food that you put on the table, whether it's a vegetable you grew in a pot on the patio of your condo, roadkill you scraped off the street, something you gleaned from nature, it's a powerful act. See a counselor. Really, there's not a man in this room at this stage that isn't ready to do some serious one-on-one soul work. That stuff that came up yesterday, man, that's, that's pulling strings, but you have to walk with someone that's trained to take you into more. See a counselor. Get to know the heart of a woman. Go to her world. And little things like the budget. So some of you do the budget. Let your wife do it completely. Some of you, your wife does it. Take it over completely for a while, okay? Some of you could never think of doing it with her. What's that about? Partner with it. Put everything in one bucket. That's a mess for some of you, okay? Every one of us has a frontier. So confession, one, so what is frontier? What are you practicing in this arena? For me, one of the facilitators um, had a heart attack a couple weeks ago, and he's doing, doing great now. But in the story, when he had this heart attack, what came out was he was doing so bad, he had a heart attack while he was driving, and the, and the phrase that caught me was, he's actually doing so bad he let his wife drive. And when he let his wife drive, that was the signal of, holy shit, this man's dying. Because <laughs> he doesn't let his wife drive. And I it was compassion, praying for him and all of it. But the spirit said, pay attention. And then later the spirit said, why don't you let her drive? I'm like, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. I'll give her everything. I'll give her, she can do, you know, everything I have is hers and this and that. And, but she's not driving me. No, like, Oh, man. And guys, it's, again, it's about the generalist because it's evoking the fear. Like, what, what, why am I not okay with her driving me in the minivan for us to go out? What's with that? It's like this big sticky point. So for the last couple weeks, she's been driving. I said, hey, Sherry, why don't you drive? And she looks at me like, Who, where is my husband? Let him go. You've locked him up. Oh, it brings up so much stuff of We've worked so hard in our union, so hard to make mutual decisions and, and, and seek God together where we, until we have, both have a green light, we don't move forward, but there's still frontier. What, what is your frontier? Um, maybe you need to do more prayer with and for other men, like to actually do these story groups. And praying, even with Sherry, I remember for years, like prayer with your spouse is so opposed. Part of becoming a generalist for me was just praying, like just literally choosing. We're driving in the car, we're talking and not saying, honey, let's pray, not setting aside time to pray, just saying, Jesus, 
We ask you to come into this. We ask you to sort this out. And it broke open some barriers and it, and, and it, it, it restored the generalists. And so from your hands to your heart, to your land, to your geography, to your stuff, to your kingdom. You're meant to go from atrophy to restoration. What is frontier for you? If you're a man's man and you're outdoorsy, maybe you need to do some fine dining. If you never go outdoors, maybe you need to go spend a night alone in the woods by yourself. There's always a frontier because once generalist is formed in union with God, that's where you get to Paul's place in Philippians 4.12. I can face anything, anywhere. So what is your frontier? It feels fearful. It feels exposed. So whatever it is, this is what it feels like. Exposing, uncomfortable, out of your element, uncomfortable around other men. Every one of us has it. Another category related to this is so important. As you begin to explore, these are messy, these take time, and there are no shortcuts. Your self-life will constantly beckon you to take a shortcut. There are no shortcuts especially in this realm of being generalist. Like, it's messy. It takes time. It takes time. And Jesus said himself, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded, flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas to a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for it. Though the crowds of people will do. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Tozier is a, a modern day heroic father. And he said, in my creature experiences, I'm often caused, he, he, he discipled people for 50 years, caused a wish that there were some ways to bring modern Christians into a deep spiritual life painlessly by short, easy lessons. But such wishes are in vain. No shortcuts exist. God, God is not bowed to our nervous haste or embrace the methods of our machine age. It is well that we would accept this hard truth. The man who would know God must give his time to him, must count no time wasted, which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. As you are, uh, as you are cultivating a habitat for the soul, it will do your heart well to agree with the reality there are no shortcuts. And so in that, I want to ask you, where and how are you taking them? Where are they seducing you to agree with the lie that there's a short, easy way to the restoration of your masculine soul? There's a lot to be said about this, but um, I just want to name it for your exploration for the next decade is this, the spirit of our age is a driven, hurried one. There are many other spirits operating. There's, there's spirits over every organization. There's territorial spirits. There's spirits over nations, spirits over family lines. But the spirit of our age is a spirit of drivenness and hurriedness. It's just spinning everything too far and too fast. And the antidote for that is the unhurried life. 
one mentor said, when we are busy, the father is quiet. So much of our lack of hearing is both our lack of readiness to receive it and our lack of quietness to receive it. John Orberg talked about meeting with Dallas and he said the other remarkable characteristic about his body was how unhurried it was. Someone said of him once, I'd like to live in his time zone. I suppose that if his house was on fire, he would have moved quickly to get out of it. But his face and the movements of his body all seemed to say he had no place to go and nothing particularly to worry about. I called Dallas and John's was mega pastor and his rope and a bunch of knots like us. And uh, he called Dallas to ask him what he needed to do to stay spiritually healthy. And there was a long pause as there is nearly always a long pause with Dallas. And then he said slowly, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I, I quickly wrote that down. Most people take notes with Dallas. I even have seen his wife take notes with him. Okay, Dallas, I responded, I've got that one. And now what other you know, nuggets do you have for me? I don't have a lot of time. I have to get everything I can from you. And Dallas looked at him with a long pause and said, there's nothing else. He said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly, ruthlessly eliminate it. So part of the habitat for your soul requires the eliminating of hurry. What is frontier for you? What is frontier for you? As I said, the, these categories are infinite. There's a dozen more I can give. Those are the ones I felt like the Spirit wants to highlight this morning. Um, but what I'd like to do is just kick it open for some conversation. Um, where do you go with these? What comes to your heart um, as you hear them, as you interact with them? Let's, let's have some dialogue. Morgan, this is going to be a brawl, so... Um, so I'm not trying to be an asshole, <laughs> but like, you know, we sit back, um, you know, a lot of us are chimney sweepers in different areas. Mm-hmm. So look back and it's like, man, it's easy for you to say, Morgan, you're part of Rance Park. You've been mm-hmm. doing this for your, you know, John tells you, Hey, go get some soul care. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's, you know, for the older gentleman in this room, you're on the back end and it's like, I should have done that. Mm-hmm. It's not like, it's a lot of the, I should have. Mm-hmm. So, for us in this season yeah. where you are on the grind and, yeah. you're, and, you're, and you're trying to manage the kids yeah. and, the, and the life and you don't, you don't work at ransom yeah. it's like, well, what does that look yeah. like when life doesn't slow down? Yes. Yeah. yeah. First of all, thank you, Kevin. It's very courageous, very loving. What I want to suggest is one of, this is, that's a really helpful question for a larger category for all of us is one of the ways in this decade when shit starts going so sideways for me and my world is a spirit of false comparison where it allows me to take part of my world and compare it to part of your world. And when it's a spirit of false comparison, I always lose every time. And I know your chimney seep world. And I could say the same thing back to you of going, are you kidding? You get paid to do that. And they look at you and they say, you are that. And I have to go and 
sit at a desk and do emails, you know, a spirit of false comparison. And uh, there's a great quote, be kind for every man faces a great battle. If you knew my whole story, you wouldn't want my life. You would want your life. And the more we come to the center of each other's experience, like right now, what I feel towards you is just compassion. Because when I was praying over you, it was just the word joy, just the word joy. And I, and I, this is the first time we've interacted, but I have J-O-Y written next to your picture. And it's pretty interesting of the energy of, I see, I hear pain. And the Father wants to invite you to joy. And by way of being friends and you knowing me, I have to do email every day, and it sucks. And I take out the trash every Friday morning. That spirit of false comparison tells people, oh, I rock climb for a living and ride horses to work with John, right? <laughs> and, and this is really, this is really risky. This is really risky for me to say, and this is in love because it's vulnerable for me, but my life is just like yours. And that's vulnerable because I esteem your chimney sweep world and I feel diminishment because <coughs> I'm not that, okay? So what I just want to name that as an opportunity of that spirit of false comparison will destroy every one of us, every one of us. And the, the antidote to own your story to become a son, to cultivate gratitude, to live in our own frontier, and come to the center of your story. Like, I feel the pull of defensiveness, right? But actually, in my spirit, I'm drawn towards you, and I want to say, where's that joy? I want that joy, and I want to know that pain. You, you carry a lot, Kevin, a lot. And when do you get to set that down? Okay. And so that spirit of false comparison, it wreaks havoc. And that's where I said, when I went through this, like, it's bullshit. Everyone else gets a shortcut but me. That exercise is very humbling. God said, he was so kind, and he said, write a list. Write a list to everyone that you think gets a shortcut, son. Just make a list. And I said, yeah, this guy and that guy. This, and, and, John, and God said, yeah, okay, okay. Nine years later, everyone got crossed off including me, crossed off. False comparison. Aaron. One of the things I think that happens for us when we go from these big ideas yesterday to now the practical ideas is I think that in some ways the big ideas are disruptively hard to turn on us. But then I think what happened when we get to the practicals is then it's just immediately this intersection of either, okay, I'll do just like Morgan, and I'll carry a knife, and I'll figure out roadkill, and I'll try and emulate what works for Morgan, or I'll call bullshit on all this and just say, mm. this isn't for me. And I think what happens is because we are good at what we do, we fix our world, but it really is a disservice because then I think what happens, and this happens in me, is I just go to, okay, great, now we're at practicals. I got my pen out, now just tell me what to do. 
Hmm. And then if I do this, then it'll yield that. Yes. And it, that, that's not what yes. this is about. That's yeah. not what this is. Yep. This is one man's story, mm -hmm. another man's story, mm -hmm. of the invitation to, at the crossroads of where I normally go, to say, hold on a second. Mm -hmm. Where am I to go? What's, what's, the yes. what's the other possibility that I've formally said, I don't fix my shit, I call a guy. Yes. Or for me, I can appreciate, Kevin, your thoughts, because as I've been friends with these guys, like, well, I'm on an effing airplane on Monday. So there's no way I can have what you have. And I'm like, hold on. It's not true. The life of God is available to all of us, mm -hmm. always. In whatever story we find ourselves in. Mm. So I would just bless you guys with the just to season the atmosphere of our room together as brothers to say it's all true yes but it isn't a set of techniques that we can now write down and then go just emulate however all of us will need to try a few things on yes yes and a pocket knife will be a great start yes and a roadkill or whatever those will be because on those frontiers is we will discover more of what God intends when he intended us. Yes. It's going to require some experimentation and just a willingness to be a student. It's really good. I, I want to pause there. Just let it all soak in for a minute. Father, catch our heart. Problems in the world reveal problems in our soul that you love to tend to. And spiritual life is never suburban. It's always frontier. As we choose to live in it, we must choose to risk and even rejoice that it remained untamed and unfinished and undone yet. I want to give one closing thought and then we'll get some time with God. Uh, so having said all this, really appreciate Aaron's word of, we're talking about big ideas and we're trying to bring it into the practical, but it will turn into dogma if we shift to formula. That's the spirit. If we started here, we just all run with tips and techniques and be, have more knots in our rope a year from now. So we're risking talking about any practicals and it's only held in the tension of the big heart ideas of the larger story. I want to tell one more story, and this is a story that you know well, but I want your spirit to open up to new depths that God has for you. When Jesus told a story to some of his closest friends, and he says, I'm telling you a secret of the kingdom. And he tells a story of a farmer sowing seed and scattering seed, and some fell on a path where it was trampled, and the birds ate it. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because it had not moisture. Some fell among thorns, and it grew up and was choked. <coughs> and still other seed fell on good soil, and it yielded a crop 30, 60, and 100-fold. It yielded a crop 30, 60, 100-fold. 
Jesus loves to tell secrets to his friends that he loves, that care and are curious about reality. Alex, if you could put that one image up. Um, I obviously heard tons of teachings on these, but as I walked in this decade, as I walked with older mentors, really came to this revelation that it's not which heart is your heart. It's the fact that every one of our hearts at every moment have these four conditions existing within it. And so the question is, how are you being transformed and restored so that more of you is belonging to more of God, okay? And so the idea is there are places in us, and you can feel it, that are just cynical. They're hardened. And so you can worship all you want. You can talk about ideas all you want, but it just doesn't have penetrability. Where are the hardened places? And to be honest with that, where's the frontier in that? And then there's shallow places. And man, this is just so personal where it says that those that fell in the shallow places were the ones who received it with joy when they heard it, but they had no roots. They believed for a while. This is the majority of people that come to a retreat. But in time of testing, they fall away. And so you have a genuine conversion, and yet it cannot take root. And then there's the cluttered parts of our soul where good things happen, but there's all kinds of other things competing, worries, riches, pleasures of this world, and they do not mature. So there are parts of our heart that just stay like this, and they never mature. Richard Foster says, the curse of our age is superficiality. There's just enough crap enough content, enough blogs and podcasts and stuff and digital to just never get you deep. The next book, the next message. That's why I hope it's disruptive to say that notebook's for 10 years. This is for 10 years. It's so you can deal with the cynicism. You can deal with the shallow places. You can deal with the cluttered places. Weeds take up valuable resources and produce nothing of gain. Then there's the good soil. And one mentor, so farmer in Australia was saying, What's great about good soil is when weeds grow in it, they're easy to pull out. They're really easy to remove. Some of you guys know that, some of you farmers. Um, What parts of you are in what conditions? Because, and here's the deal, we're closing here, I want to honor you. I want your soul to risk believing all these categories and that there are absolutely no shortcuts. And if you can come to a profound conviction at the depth of your soul, there are no shortcuts, and I choose to take no shortcuts. And believe that with all your heart. Then the Father can reveal through Jesus one secret, that there actually is one shortcut in the kingdom. And that's the slow and steady, the narrow road, the narrow gate, because it yields a supernatural harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. It's actually the most effective way. I was talking to my uncle, uh, Sherry's uncle, who is a farmer. I was asking like, what's a bumper crop? You know, what's 30, 60, 100 X? What does that mean? He said, 30 X is where you start getting into like 
supernatural, 60x. The math doesn't add up with the soil and the seed and the resources. That's God's kingdom. That's the holy irony of that longing to multiply, to leverage. Like It's in the kingdom, but the path is the slow and steady. The path is the no shortcuts. The path is choosing to cultivate a habitat for your soul where you're not in a hurry, where you deal with just what's next. And over time, you become the kind of man that God can entrust with much of his kingdom. And so what is the condition of your soil. Cultivating a habitat is the path to becoming good soil in which God can bring a supernatural harvest. Jesus, these are all big categories. It's messy, but you are more than capable. You're a good father and you've brought this to our hearts because it is on time. Father, I pray that you would come into these places you would come into pain, you would bind fear and shame, particularly ask that you would stand against a spirit of false comparison that causes me to diminish myself and disqualify myself, causes me, causes me to not see my story as you would see it. Jesus, I want to agree with my story that you have portioned out that is the very best story for the very best version of me, more than I could ask for or imagine in my wildest dreams, the scripture says. Jesus, you're the one that provides us life. You infuse us with rivers of life. Holy Spirit, you're a kind and playful, joyful teacher, a kind guide who gives us just what we need just when we need it. And Father, you're strong. You're more than capable. Capable. You're a provider and you're a protector. You are abundance and you are care. So would you take us into the frontier in these categories, both in this day and in this decade, and separate for us what's for today, Father? What's for today? We silence the accuser and we welcome in the goodness of you, Father. You're a good Father. Amen. Friends, we've covered a lot of ground in this session. I would encourage you to pause wherever you are, if you can in this moment, if not sometime in the very near future, perhaps later today or tomorrow, and stay with God in this. I finished this piece of the teaching with going into the parable of the sower and the seeds and talking about the four conditions of soil. And I would love to invite you to go with God and explore your own heart right now and ask God if all four conditions are present right now, what portions, what percentages, what pieces of your heart are represented by the hardened soil, by the shallow soil, by the cluttered soil, and by the good soil? 
I would encourage you to ask God what his next steps would be to work with him and watch how he would partner and participate with you to see that the soil is amended intended to so that it can become more and more healthy and rich and filled with nutrients and filled with nourishment and filled with moisture so that it can become the habitat in which your soul can thrive. The session has big ideas and big categories, and I encourage you to go back into it and take them one at a time, walk with God, reflect on them, Ask him what he wants to say to you. He is a good, good father. Friends, if you're interested in finding out more about the upcoming Become Good Soil intensive, you can go to becomegoodsoil.com and look under events. You can find more in the Become Good Soil box collection where we have these sessions on video in an earlier form of the retreat. And there are all sorts of links associated with that to go into other blogs and podcasts and resources and reflection questions so that you can mine the riches that God has. Thanks for joining us. And next time we'll turn a corner to cultivating the fundamental ways of living in that habitat so that your masculine soul can thrive.